Well, that was really good. Stacked up some of my favorite songs this morning, one right after the other. With that, I would just encourage you, if, um, if you can, come tonight to the praise and worship time. It really is uh, very laid back. It's um, not anything that you got to dress up for. Just come and be together with our church family, and we will do just what we just did um, later on this evening, and then we'll just spend some time breaking off into little small groups and praying together. If you're uncomfortable with praying around other people, that's okay. Just be blessed by the prayers of those who are talking to the Lord, and you can do that in your heart along with them. And so we just encourage you to come tonight and enjoy um, that time together. So So 2 Timothy 3.12 says that all those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. And history has actually proven that to be true. During the first three centuries, Roman rulers pushed Christian communities into the margins of society, forcing them to gather in catacombs, in caverns, and hideouts within the forest. Many faced danger throughout the medieval age during the growth of Islam, and still others were martyred during the Reformation. But did you know that it has been the 20th and 21st centuries that has seen the greatest rise of persecution since the Christian church began. According to Open Door and Voice of the Martyrs Ministry, more Christians have been killed for their faith in the last century than all the other eras combined. Does that surprise you? Honestly, it kind of surprised me when I when I read that, but according to 2 Timothy 3.12, I don't guess it should surprise any of us. But the reason I tell you that is just to simply make the point that the Christian community is no stranger to opposition. And whether those threats are visible or invisible, the same enemy is behind them all. Satan's goal is to use whatever means possible to disrupt the unity of the Christian church. And he does so because he understands that the church is at the heart of God's mission for the world. And the gathering of God's people is like the epicenter of how that mission is ultimately fulfilled. Last week, Jeff did a great job talking about what it means for us to devote daily. And I would encourage you, if you haven't listened to that, please do so. One, because it was great but also because this four-part series that we're doing is intended to link together. And so you need to understand one to appreciate the other and each of them in succession. So please take time uh, to do that. This morning, I'm going to continue the series and talk about what it means to gather weekly. As individuals, we devote daily in order to grow in grace, but as a church family, we gather weekly in order to experience grace upon grace. And I know, unfortunately, this is a sensitive topic in our world today. And it makes me sad that that's the case. And it also makes me nervous as I enter into this topic and try to teach. And so here's how I'm going to approach the subject. I want to be very clear. I'm not going to tell you what you need to do on Sunday morning, either individually or as a family. But here's what I will do. I will give you a biblical basis as we look at God's word for you to make that decision for yourself. 
Because let's be honest, look, there will always be obstacles to the gathering of God's people, right? Whether that's as simple as getting a young family dressed and out the door on time on a Sunday morning, okay? That's no small feat. Or something more, thank you for the amen, that's good, I love that. But it could also be something more serious too, like the reality of persecution, or in our world today, the presence of a pandemic. But in every case, our decision when we draw the line has to be made on a biblical basis. So this morning, we're going to talk about how the gathering of God's people is a part of God's design. And and within that design, there is grace-filled goodness for God's people. And, And even more important, we see the glory of Christ exalted within that design and in the goodness that we experience together. So with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brothers, we come to you this morning and enter into this topic. I just ask that you would, one, calm my heart, (laughs) that I would be able to speak clearly and be led by your spirit to speak truthfully. I also pray that you would calm the heart of our people, both those that are here this morning and those that are not, who may be listening. We would put away any preconceived ideas of what we think is going to be said or what the opinions of people are, and we would just listen to your word, speak to our hearts, and lead us accordingly. Lord, we pray this in your gracious name. Amen. All right, so as we enter into this topic, let's start at the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, we have the creation account where God brought all things into existence. And if you read it carefully, you'll realize that, that there's an evidence of perfection in the pairs. Let me give you an example. On day one, there was day, and then there was night. On day two, you had the heavens above, and you had the earth below. On day three, you had the plants, and you had the trees. On day four, you had the sun, and you had the moon. On day five, you had the birds of the sky, and then the fish of the sea. And then On day six, God created the beasts of the field, and then he made man in his own image. Galatians chapter 2, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 2, verse 19 says, Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to all the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam... There was not found a helper suitable for him. So for the very first time in all of God's creation, there is something that is incomplete. There's not a pair for Adam. Up until this point, everything has been good. But then God looks at this situation and says, it's not good for man to be alone. Because God made us intentionally, as physical, relational creatures. And it's not good for man, it's not good for woman to be alone. We are incomplete apart from community. And so God, in order to resolve this issue, created Eve. He fashioned the woman from Adam's own body and brought her to him. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And we need to understand that that Adam and Eve were made for more than a marriage relationship. As, As important as that is, it was the means to an end because he went on to tell them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Marriage is a means by which we create a community of God's people. By God's design, we were created from community for community, made in the image of the undivided fellowship of the Trinity, from community for community. It's God's design. God designed humanity to walk in fellowship with him and in loving community with one another. And yet, when we choose to live outside of that design, it never goes well. I don't know if you figure that out in your own life. I've certainly figured it in mine, okay? When we live outside the boundaries of God's design, it doesn't go well. We see that with Adam and Eve when they chose to go their own way. And as a result, what happened? They hid from God instead of drawing near to him. And they blamed and, and, and opposed each other instead of encouraging and lifting each other up. So, as a result, God began his plan to, to restore what sin had broken. And believe it or not, he did this through a community of people. It was the Israelites, a people set apart to walk in fellowship with God and in unity with one another, fulfilling a purpose that was protected and affirmed as they gathered together in worship. We see that when they were in the wilderness and they gathered around the tabernacle. And then once the the temple was built, they, they gathered around the temple. But eventually, they, they lost their identity as God's people by going their own way. Like Adam and Eve, they chose to live outside of God's design. And how did they do that? Well, they intermarried with foreign nations and they adopted their practices, including the practice of their pagan worship. And they no longer gathered as God's people. So God stepped in to do what man simply could not accomplish. He sent Jesus, the promised Messiah, to deal with sin once and for all and to establish the kingdom, a community of God's people. This is when the church was born. We just sang about that. When the the, the flame was lit and the church was born in a new covenant community of people now gathered together. Once again, designed to walk in fellowship with God and in unity with one another. Paul describes it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, when he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And all those are plural pronouns. He goes on and says, For you, here it is, we're not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We need to see this as God reestablishing his original design, having been created from community and for community. 
And just like Israel, we too protect and affirm those promises of God as we gather together in worship. This is where we see Ephesians 4.12, where we see the equipping of the saints for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, so that we've been designed to flourish within the relationships of community. We were created to, to orient our lives by our corporate worship together, gathering in unity as God's people in order to carry out God's purpose in the world. And there is always, always goodness built within the boundaries of God's design. Because here's one of those good things. In reality, we, we're changed. Our, our lives are shaped by living in the context of community. In fact, I believe that, that gathering as God's people is part of God's sanctifying work in our lives. And there's something missing when that doesn't take place. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise. We grow in grace as we gather together. We are shaped by the people around us. It's a part of God's design. Which is why we need to be around role models of the older generation. It's why we need to, to gather and be around the, the youthful generations with their creativity and energy. And we have a tremendous blessing in this church to have such a cross-section of young and old and so much, so much that we can learn from one another. We are called to gather together which is how God intended it to be, for us to grow in grace as we learn from one another. See, he knew that left to ourselves, we will do this. We will congregate in clusters of people who are just like us. Okay? Everybody does it. I do it. It's just our, our natural tendency. But when we gather as a church, we have to be around people that are not like us, and that's a good thing. It's where we learn to practice patience and humility. It's where we learn to listen to other people's stories and learn from their experiences. See, having been in region and listened to, to several people's inventories, their stories, right? I am totally and completely and consistently amazed at God's redemptive work in our broken lives. And I can't help but listen to these stories and give praise to God for the good work that he has done among his people. He is so good. And we see that so clearly when we open up our lives to one another. I, I don't remember the passage exactly, but I remember when Paul says, we didn't come just to minister to you. We came to share our entire lives with you. That, that, that's part of life together as God's people. Community turns our hearts towards God. You see, when we step out of that environment, it's way too easy to become selfish. I actually notice some of this even when I go on my study leave, right? I'm alone, complete solitude, complete quiet. And it doesn't take me very long to think, I could get used to this, right? This is not so bad. Why? Because I'm doing everything like I want it done. Get up when I want to, eat what I want to, 
exercise when I want to. Everything is what I want. And it's really nice. And it's easy to get used to. But when we step out of that environment, it's easy to become selfish. Because outside of community, it's all about me and what I want. Augustine called it homo incurbitus in se, which literally means turned inward on oneself. I love that. Because it's so descriptive of what I've experienced in my own life. Left to myself, I turn inward on myself. This is a natural tendency for all of us. Unless we live in a community that calls us to something different. And praise God that we do within this body of believers. And knowing that this is important, we see Scripture speaking to it over and over again. It shifts us from being a consumer of information to being a servant of people, comforting those who are are suffering from something that maybe we've gone through ourselves. How many times have you been in the midst of a situation and somebody gently and patiently comes beside you who you know has walked down that same road, and how comforting is it to sit down with somebody who you know truly understands, maybe not experiencing exactly what you went through, but is willing to enter into your suffering with you? That's powerful powerful truth. Being in the presence of people to to listen when someone just needs to talk. That's why the New Testament epistles are written to a local body of believers, a community of people gathered together. They they read those letters like we do here among the, the church gathered together to unpack it and understand what it means and how it applies to their lives. And knowing that was so important, we see the, the command in, 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 in Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, not to forsake our gathering together, as is the habit of some, but instead, consider how we encourage each other towards love and good deeds. This is where we practice the, the one another's of Scripture. Those were written for, for how we live life together. See it in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, when it says, to be devoted to one another to give preference to one another in love, to serve one another. As we see in Ephesians chapter 5, speaking to one another in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Brian did it again this morning. He often tells us that when we gather together in worship, it's not just us singing praise to God, which is really important, but we are singing truths to one another. That's also important. And we need to hear that as we seeing and worship with each other. As we grow in grace, we are creating a culture of grace. And that culture shapes how we live our everyday lives. We see that kind of being played out in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul talks about the interdependence of the body of Christ. He does so by using the illustration of a body. And he takes the the church that is filled with all kinds of individuals with all kinds of different gifts, and he compares that to the, the body that has a, a variety of important parts. And he tells us that it's not just some random collection of things that God just threw together, but that there's design and there's purpose on how things fit with one another, which is why he says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18, but now God, listen to this, has placed the members, each one of them, okay, individually, to person. In the body, just as he desires. It's purposeful. It's intentional. 
goes on earlier in that chapter, and he said, to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So each person placed in the body just as he desires is uniquely equipped to be a blessing to someone else. Or to say it another way, God created us with needs to be filled by other people that gather together as God's people. So we are both sanctified and we are strengthened in the context of community. We are shaped by the people around us. I love what Jonathan Lehman says when he writes this. He says, think about it. Maybe you've struggled with a hidden hatred toward a brother all week. But then his presence at the Lord's table draws you to conviction and confession. Or maybe you struggle with suspicion toward a sister, but then you see her singing the same songs of praise, and your heart softens. Maybe you struggle with anxiety with all that is happening in our world today, but then the preacher declares Christ's coming in victory and vindication. Or maybe you're tempted to keep your struggle in the dark, but the older couple's tender but pressing question, how are you really, draws you into the light. He goes on and says, none of this is experienced virtually. God made us physical and relational creatures. Neither the Christian life nor the life of the church can be fully downloaded. It must be experienced. God designed us to flourish in a shared experience of corporate worship, the the public reading of God's word. And God's word commands us to to live out the sacraments, sacrament of holy communion as we gather around the Lord's table, the celebration of believers' baptism as we rejoice with all the saints in someone coming to faith in Christ is a testimony of Scripture and therefore the calling of our lives as God's people. The gathering of God's people is a part of God's design. It is for our good and ultimately it's for his glory which is the most important point. And so to illustrate that, I want to use this example. If you've ever been to Washington, D.C., you've probably walked down a street known as Embassy Row. It's really fascinating. It's an area of town where really many of the embassies from around the world are all located. You might walk down the street and see a flag from Japan on one building and then a flag from Italy on another. You walk a little further, you might see a flag from Mexico on one building and then a flag from Finland on another building. In fact, there are over 170 embassies represented in that area in Washington, D.C. And if you were to walk into one of those embassies, okay, if you were to step into those embassies, it would be like entering into another country because immediately you would be be confronted with the realities of what exists in that country. You would hear it as they speak their native language, of that country with which they come from, giving you a taste of their culture that they live in. You would see it in their mannerisms, how they dressed would all be consistent with that native culture that they came from. If you were to sit down and have a meal with them, you would taste the delicacies of their native land. And if you were to have the privilege of sitting in on one of their meetings, you would hear some of the discussion of of diplomacy and, and strategic planning that would would be a part of their country and how they're existing in the world today. 
I tell you this because I think the very thing, same thing should be true of the church. This is an embassy of heaven. This is an embassy of heaven. This is a place where the citizens of heaven gather together. Exiles in this world that is not our home coming together in our embassy with people who are just like us. And when you walk in that door, you should hear it in the language we speak. The language of faith, of hope, of love. Walking in the church should give you a little taste of heaven as God's people gather together. When we share the Lord's Supper together, we're getting a a taste of a heavenly banquet that is yet to come. That's what it's pointing us to. When we come together to worship and, and, and order our lives around the worship of our King, that's what we do when we gather together, receiving the truth of his word, stepping into an embassy in order to be equipped as ambassadors. Okay, Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Let me read that to you. It says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul is saying that that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, withholding judgment, a judgment that we rightly deserved for our sin, but instead placing that judgment upon Christ at the cross, bringing reconciliation through the forgiveness of our sins. And now it tells us that, that Christ has given us the same ministry that he came here to fulfill, the ministry of reconciliation. Much like God was in Christ, now Christ is in us, making an appeal through us to be reconciled to God. See, we gather together in order to go into the world. We come here to be equipped as ambassadors for Christ, bringing glory to God through our lives of worship as we extend the gospel to the world around us. All of this, every single detail is God's design for our good and for his glory. He places the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desires. He equips each person individually with a manifestation of the spirit that is to be used for the common good of God's people allowing each person to contribute something that another person needs, building his body with a divinely ordained interdependence, knowing that our life and community is a means to our sanctification. We are changed by the people that are around us. He calls us to be devoted to one another, to give preference to one another, to to serve one another, learning to be around people who are not like us, but knowing that we have the most important thing in common, Jesus. And that's enough. That's what draws our hearts together. We meet in this embassy of heaven 
in order to be equipped as ambassadors for Christ, living out our lives as ministers of reconciliation, proclaiming the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God's people have designed, been designed to flourish within the context of a loving community. We were created to orient ourselves around the gathering of corporate worship, gathering in unity as God's people in order to carry out God's purpose in the world. That's, that's what we do. Now, I said in the beginning that I would not tell you what you needed to do on a Sunday morning, and I'm going to keep my promise, but what I would ask is that you make your decision on the biblical truths that we have looked at together this morning. God's design for God's people, for their good, and for his glory. And with that, let me just take a moment to tell you how much I appreciate you. How much I see the evidence of your love every time we gather together. I told you in recent weeks how many notes or emails or text messages I've received recently just telling me stories of how someone in this church reached out to them during their time of need and how grateful they were for that. Man, every time I read one of those, I'm encouraged. And I know it's true because you've done the very same thing for me and my family. I see it every Sunday long before church ever begins. As I see your conversations with one another, I see you every Sunday morning long after this church ends as you remain together sharing life with one another. And that's the way it should be. Even as we worship, there's many times, even like this morning, I especially love that when the, the instruments pull back and I can hear your voices and I just stop singing because I just want to listen to what for me is a little slice of heaven and you refresh me when I hear your voices. I know for a lot of people, this is a refuge where they come after what has been a really hard and difficult week and they know going into Monday, it's going to be more of the same. And so they come here to be refueled and restored. I'll tell you real quickly, a few years ago, and we'll have it again this year, we had Christmas on a Sunday. And we saw several churches that were canceling their Sunday services, and we thought, well, I mean, people got stuff to do. They want to be with family. Maybe we should too. So we made the decision to kind of follow suit and do that. We will never do it again. And here's why. We were told by multiple people, this is my family. And you took that away from me. Because when we gather together, these are my brothers and sisters. Yes, I may or may not have family outside of this, but these are my deepest relationships. Don't take that away from me. I promise you, we will not. One and only. So I just want you to know that that I appreciate you. And I'm encouraged by all the new faces that are here on any Sunday morning. And I hope that you feel encouraged. I hope that you feel safe and welcome here. I hope that you come to learn that this is a place where you can be fully known and fully loved. And I hope that this is a place for all of us that we can grow in grace together as we grow in Christ together. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being together with these people, people that I love deeply and who I know, without any doubt, deeply love me. What a privilege, Lord, 
to walk into this embassy of heaven on Sunday morning, to, to live in the, the culture of people with love and faith and hope, much like we will experience for all of eternity, but it'll be even better then. But Lord, help us to not forsake our gathering together, but consider how to encourage each other towards love and good deeds, knowing that many people come to this place as a refuge on Sunday, knowing that they're going out to war on Monday. And so may we take it seriously as we worship you and love one another to the praise and glory of your name. It's in the name of our Savior Jesus that we ask these things. Amen. If you would stand, let's sing together. Suppose with two things I want to encourage you in. First of all, if there's somebody that you haven't seen in a while, would you please call them? And listen, there are people who aren't able to come for very legitimate reasons. And we just want them to know that they're missed. That they're still a part of our family and we look forward to when they can join us and gather again. But would you do that? Reach out to somebody you haven't seen in a while. Second thing that I would ask you to do. If you're new to Melanie Park Church, and there are several of you, because there will be times that Happened to me last week. I'll go out and introduce myself, and they'll say, yeah, we've been coming for, for three months. And I'm like, how did I not know this? But it, this is my request. Every time I prepare a sermon, I have you as our people in mind. And I'm not just teaching about what this has to say. I'm trying to speak to the hearts of people whose stories I know. And so if you're new to Melanie Park Church, I want to get to know you. I want to hear your story. I want to spend time with you. I want to share my story. And so whether it's the visitor card or the, my email or my phone number, I don't care whatever means possible, I just want to get to know you. Go grab lunch together, invite you to our home to share a meal. But I just want us to know each other's story, and I want to especially know the people that I'm talking to every Sunday because it's always a blessing to me to hear how God is at work in your life. So if you would do that, boy, I would be really, really grateful. Let me close this in prayer and we'll be done. Father, thank you so much for the chance to be together this morning. Uh, Lord, may we reach out to those that we haven't seen in a while and just let them know that they're missed. And we look forward to not only when they can join us together, but we look forward ultimately, Lord, to when we will all be together with you in paradise, living in your presence, fulfilling the one another's for all eternity and all the fullness and the goodness of your ultimate design untainted by sin, and lived in the flourishing fulfillment that you've designed us for in your presence. To God be the glory, and in his name we pray, amen. Have a great day.